You're listening to the Halcyon podcast with Adam and Rob. And you have to say, that's magnificent. Hello and welcome to a special mini-series of the Halcyon podcast in which we're joined by one of our authors, Ian Plenderleith, for a chat about his book, Reffing Hell, Stuck in the Middle of a Game Gone Wrong. Reffing Hell is Ian's game-by-game, season-by-season, blow-by-blow, though thankfully not literally, account of refereeing at amateur level over the last five or six seasons and all the associated angst, conflict and occasional moments of good humour is experienced along the way. Whether you're a player, a coach, a referee yourself or even just a spectator, a lot of these incidents will ring very true and hopefully give you a bit of an insight into the person behind the whistle. Alongside this interview episode, you'll also find a collection of extracts from the book read by Ian to whet your appetite, should it need further whetting in any way. Reffing Hell is available direct from us at halcingpublishing.co.uk, and if you like this mini-series, please do feel free to give the podcast a like, subscribe, or rating wherever you consume the episodes. But for now, best behaviour for the man in black or neon orange, here's our chat with Ian. So, it's a hello and welcome finally to the Halcyon podcast. Ian Plenderleith, how are you, Ian? I'm very well, thank you. Good, glad to hear it. Uh, we're also joined, of course, by a man who's pretty much always on a booking. Uh, hello, Ad, you all right? <laughs> yeah, I'm fine, mate. Uh, yeah, two yellows, uh, going to come my way this afternoon, I think. <laughs> uh, well, try and behave yourself for at least 20 minutes, if that's all right. Um, that would be good. Uh, now, we are getting together to talk about your book, Ian Raffin Hell, uh, which is in part born of the question, why on earth anyone would want to become an amateur football referee in the first place? But I actually wanted to start with more of the when and the how. So um, when did you first take up the whistle or decide to take up the whistle, I suppose. And how is it that you went about training and qualifying to become a referee in the first place? I started about 15 years ago when my eldest daughter was playing in the United States on a on a team that required some of the parents to train as uh, linesmen. So I did a, a, a one-day course as a linesman and was never needed until suddenly I got an email one day inviting me to be a linesman of an all-day football tournament, which involved six games. And I had such a good time, I decided to to train as a, a full-time, uh, well, as a centre referee, which involved a three-day weekend course. So I started in the, in the US, mainly refereeing youth games, which right. was uh, quite pleasant most of the time. Uh, there, were, there were some incidents, there were some touchline debacles involving parents and coaches, but generally it was a fairly relaxed environment. After about six years, uh, uh, myself and my family moved to Germany and I uh, had to retrain and yeah. do a, a much more comprehensive and longer course, which was stretched out over two or three weekends and uh, started refereeing in the German amateur leagues around Frankfurt and mine uh, in both youth and adult uh, football. So that's how uh, I, I came into it. And the change from the US to Germany was a huge uh, cultural step that I hadn't mm. been expecting. Yeah. And the the amount of, uh, I suppose, aggravation, abuse, poor behavior, poor sportsmanship uh, in the German league genuinely 
shocked me. And after a couple of months, I, I almost gave up. And um, it was actually my my good wife, uh, referred to in the book as Mrs. Ref, who persuaded me to uh, keep going in as much as she said, either shut up and, <laughs> and, and keep refereeing or else, you know, just, just, just quit doing it so I don't have to listen to you bellyache every Sunday evening when you come back from, from the football field. Yeah. So in in your in that sort of two three weeks worth of training, did any of that sort of stuff come up? Did they try and prepare you for? No, no. no the training, the training diplomatically. was completely focused on passing the exam, which means um, learning all those uh, tiny little rules in the FIFA handbook <laughs> that actually um, either rarely come up in games, or maybe every one hundred or two hundred games. Or which, in reality, you you ignore in the interests of of, of keeping keeping the game flowing and in yeah. interest of keeping the peace. So it was uh, for my, for my money the the better training actually came from talking to other referees, from mm. gaining more experience, and then from the monthly meetings you have. We still have, you have to go to monthly meeting anyway and continue doing uh, exams online to to retain your qualification but the the, the initial courses are really just uh, formal um i mean not completely useless but not much of a preparation for what what's coming and which is why we're in, in frankfurt we're making more of an effort to coach and mentor young referees who've just passed the exam and, and who are not yet ready to 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 face up to the 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 choleric coaches, parents and, and players who who they're going to meet in the coming months. <laughs> yeah. Did, did you have a sense that it would be a bit like that when you started then? Were you quite nervous sort of refing by yourself for the first time or was it did it genuinely like shock you just how much of that was involved? Uh, I wasn't I wasn't really nervous because I was into uh, into the rhythm of refereeing by that point having refereed for, for half a dozen years. Yeah. Um but that sometimes I started to 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 get nervous <laughs> especially if I you know was facing a team uh, refereeing a team again who had had trouble with before and you start to worry well do you know will they remember me and uh uh, you know, will I get away from the ground without being threatened or sworn at, or you know, and, and, and that kind of thing um, doesn't necessarily make you nervous. It doesn't make you kind of cautious and 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 stops you enjoying what should really be you know a, a fairly relaxing, uh, rewarding hobby that that keeps you fit and gives you a bit of pocket money and keeps mm-hmm. you in contact with the football community. Um, so it, 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 the, the 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 culture. He had definitely um, gave me uh, reasons to start doubting why I was doing this on, on my weekends. And Ian, have you found, uh, being a non-German yourself, that you've that the abuse that you've been given has been as a direct consequence of that? Do you feel that it's picked up on by the players that you're refereeing? No, no, I don't think that that made any difference at all. I think they were... Uh, I don't think they discriminate who they yell at. <laughs> but they think you're good, don't they? Do they think you're good? If, if, if anything, um, that's probably helped me more because yeah. uh, people, for some reason, think that my act, my German accent sounds like I come from Holland. So <laughs> yeah. people often ask me if I'm from Holland, and they say, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm from Britain originally. And, and that usually leads to much more pleasant conversations and and i think about 60 percent of the referees in frankfurt are anyway of non-german background so that that doesn't 
possibly uh, maybe reflects also the, the players taking part as well. So mm-hmm. there's, there's a huge number of, of different ethnic communities in, in Frankfurt, and a lot of the clubs and teams are based on those on those ethnicities. So uh, it's not necessarily, uh, a, a, I don't think, a national thing in terms of being German or non-German. I don't think that's really played a role. Okay. Hmm. It's quite it's quite an overriding theme of the book, isn't it? That I mean, you mentioned kind of once people find out you're British or a non native German speaker that 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 kind of pierces the like the the bubble a little bit and you find you have much more sort of human interactions with people um but that I don't, would that can like what is it do you think that gets people so just caught up in the game that those human interactions just become completely impossible for the vast majority of the time yeah it's, it's hard to pin down because you never know if a game is going to kick off that can happen at any time you can have a peaceful game for a whole hour and then it just takes one incident. You might miss a foul, like somebody gets fouled, and you you don't you don't give it. You didn't see it properly. You went at the right angle, or maybe you just didn't think it was a foul. And so then that player will decide, okay, the referee's not uh, you're not going to protect me. I'm going to I'm going to get my own back next time. I'm in <laughs> in a duel with this with, with this big mm. centre back. I'm going to kick him in the shin or something. And and the next thing you know, you've got like. 15, 20 players in a huge circle surrounding each other and pushing each other and yelling and screaming and people coming in from the touchline. And you think, oh, my God, how did that happen? How did I let that happen? What if I, Am I a, a shit ref because I let this mass fight break out? There is this feeling of, of responsibility of your own failure when something like that happens. Mm. Um, entertaining as it is to write about, especially from the point of view uh, of the reader, um, you really don't want it happening in your games. It, it's quite quite a traumatic experience, even though by this point in time now I've, got, I've become used to those as well and become much calmer at dealing with them and even walking away from them when it happens. Um, so uh, sometimes there's bad blood between two teams from previous games, from previous season. Sometimes there's there's bad blood based on uh, on 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 the ethnic. Uh, uh, divisions. Um, there's a lot of uh, for teams from former Yugoslavia uh, in the city. There's been bad blood uh, in some of those encounters going back to the 1990s. Although it's become a little a little better now. Uh, there's there's often been tension between the, the city's one Jewish team, Maccabi, playing against some of the uh, North African based. Uh, Arab Arabic teams, so there's, there's always things to, to take out when you when you're sent a game. It's not just mm. uh, you're looking at two team names and FCA versus FCB. Yeah. It's uh, it's really oh my god, what part of the city is that in, and what part of the world do do its players come from? Yeah. Uh, I, I think there's one 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 game I describe in the book where I don't actually uh, refer to the ethnicity. Uh, but it, it was between a, a cup tie between a, um, a Kurdish team and and a, and a, a Turkish team, and uh, it was it was so close to to going up in flames, uh, uh, and there were like ten yellow cards, and there were at least five deserved red cards. But it was one of those games where I thought I have to manage this because if I can show one red card here, I think the whole game it's 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 gone beyond. What the simple rules of football are we're talking mm. about here some, some something much bigger uh, and when you asked me before like how are you prepared for that kind of game during during your your training and the answer is not at all i mean during our 
weekend of training, nobody said, okay, if you're refereeing in Frankfurt, you should really watch yeah, sure. <laughs> the following matchup. Um, because I suppose, you know, from their point of view, they have to pretend in a way that you know, everybody's neutral, everybody's equal, every, mm. every, every game starts the same, and, and, and that's the approach you have to go in as a referee. But you really do need that background knowledge and, and consciousness of what could go wrong, and, and that helps you to, to, man, to manage the games. And Ian, do, do you feel protected in those situations? And when I say protected, I mean literally protected, as in you won't be assaulted on the pitch there and then, but also is there a support network that you can call upon, um, be it a referees association or what it, what it might be? And do you also feel that the fact that you have the referees kit on and the whistle in your mouth lends you a little bit of protection in terms of, I don't know, you tell me, in terms of it won't go so far because for whatever reason, they won't touch me because I've got this this outfit. That, that's right, because the sanctions uh, for clubs, if somebody does attack, referee are huge. And that is viewed very seriously. Physical assault on a referee it usually leads to a uh, team being expelled from the league and possibly mm. the club. Uh, there have been cases of clubs that have disbanded, um, fallen apart right after something like that happened. So, it has happened, uh, though, right? There is, isn't, it isn't in the book where... Yeah, yeah, has been, been attacked. Minor assaults in, in terms of like a, a shirt thrown at me, and also two guys coming towards me, looking like they were going to assault me, but then being held back by teammates or officials from their club. So I tend to rely on that happening, and, and I think most referees do. We, it's the the trust that there will be enough sane people there. To, to stop it escalating to the point where, that, that would seriously threaten the existence of, of, of their club. Mm-hmm. So the, the referees' uniform, although you're very much alone out there, you, I, I do not referee uh, any games at my level. We do not have linesmen. So the you support you have to rely on is from the home team who appoint two stewards uh, mm-hmm. and who also will have several members of the board there uh, for, for home, home team, uh, first team home games. Um, so from that point of view, I don't really feel, I think if I felt that going into any game, that there's physical danger, I think that would definitely be a, a good reason for stopping because, you, you know, that, that that's uh, a line that's, that when you cross it, it, it just takes any kind of joy or reward out of, out of refereeing completely. Mm. So, um, so yeah, I, I, I answer your question. I mean, I do, I do feel protected and, and I do feel that the, the uniform and the whistle is, is, is just about, just about enough. Um, even, even if there are times when that, when, when that, uh, uh, I guess you call it like the thin, the thin black line or something on the, <laughs> the line of the, the, by the thin line of the whistle. I don't know. Yeah. But, um, I, I, I think there's, there's, in, enough uh reason um to to feel that, that, that you, you you're protected yeah and we know that you're a very thoughtful man and so you, you we're, we're convinced that you must have pondered this one but for something that should be fun why do you think there's such a lack of fun they don't it certainly becomes very clear in in ref in hell that nobody seems to be enjoying this it just seems to be <laughs> something they've got to endure and and what what do you think is going on there? Why do you think it is? I, I wonder if the stakes in the game as a whole have just been 
raised too much yeah uh, right from the very top level that there's too there's too much uh, and first of all as a culture now we're placing too high an importance on sport uh, in terms of its results and its outcomes rather than uh saying it's important to take part and, and to keep yourself fit and to be part of a sporting community and those are still uh important factors in the amateur game but they're uh as a, I also coach youth teams here in Frankfurt, and every time you go to a, a training seminar for, for coaches, you'll hear the same thing like, oh, I believe completely in player development, and uh, I believe completely in it must be fun for the player, and winning is of secondary importance. But as a coach and as a referee, I see every single weekend, you see coaches dancing up and down on the touchline going absolutely ballistic about refereeing decisions. And a lot of that's transferred from what they see on television. A lot of this, the media focusing on coaches during the, during games rather than focusing on the actual game. This this now they have forty seven cameras in every stadium for every mm -hmm. game. They have somebody just uh, let's see the reaction of the coach. Oh look, he's really happy. His team scored a goal. Oh look, he's going nuts because the team didn't get a penalty. And this and this and behavior has become so ingrained, such a part part of the daily football culture. I think that these like wannabe coaches at youth level who maybe haven't even a lot of them haven't even been on proper training courses at all. Uh, I think that they're within their rights to ape that kind of behavior, and, and that also transfers to the parents. And even worse in youth football, it transfers to to the players as well. And you see players often who are badly coached from the touchline; they behave badly on the field because. Quite uh, naturally, they take the, the 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 adult in charge of them as the example, and and it's a bad example. Yeah. Uh, but they don't they don't know that they think it's just normal. Like, okay, now let's tell this referee what we think it was cool. That should have mm -hmm. been offside. And let's tell him in vehement, vehemently righteous tones, right up to his face. <laughs> <laughs> Is the do you do you think the it doesn't sound like the the administration of the game by FAs at any level, let's say, because I think of a few national FAs who uh, will probably be on the receiving end of this <laughs> as well. But like the administration and the kind of regulations in the game and how coaches are expected to behave, because you're quite disparaging the book at times about a code of conduct that the players all have to sign um, to, the, to the point that you've produced a manifesto for sort of respecting the referee or, or for, for going about protecting the referee a bit more. What sort of is your feeling that that's not kind of evolving in the same way or in reflect in reflection of what's happening? Yeah, it's a very it's a very slow process. I mean, any protest we as referees have, um, I mean, Adam, you asked me before if there's kind of support network, um, and, and I do have a group of referees I hang out with, and it was we the, the five of us produced this manifesto mm -hmm. together. And, and passed it on to our referees association, who, who were very grateful we'd taken the time to do it. And I've taken, you know, they agreed with a lot of it, but then they said, we now have to go to the, the state football association from the state of Hessen and try to present these points to them. And then it's a much bigger discussion. And there's a, there's a, a you know, far greater network of interests involved in changing anything. So uh, one of the things that we have made progress on is getting a, a a actual card for coaches um, rather than just being listed on the team sheet is that they have to uh, very keen on pressing that all coaches should have some kind of a, a qualification, even if it's only a very short course yeah. uh, mm. to, to, to understand what, what are the, 
um, norms and, and, uh, and guidelines for, for coaching a youth team in terms of sportsmanship and, and guidance on how they should behave. It doesn't have to have anything to do with with tactics and, uh, and and you know training or anything like that. It should just be like a basic a basic course and ABC of, of running a of being responsible for young people. Um, so yeah, of course it's 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 a long it's a long and slow road. Um, as a referees association, there's only so much we can do, but. Uh, as I mentioned before, we are really trying to retain young referees and stop this like fifty percent uh, quitting rate that we've, mm. we've we've suffered so far. We train a lot of young referees; they give up. Uh, some of them give up very quickly as soon as they encounter their first uh, in, uh, insane adult on the touchline. So um, we're really consciously trying to to to, to nurture them and, and mentor them and 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 make it clear to clubs uh, and to coaches and to parents. Look, we are mentoring a young referee here. For God's sake, behave yourselves. Otherwise, uh, they will continue to hemorrhage referees, and, and your club will not have a, anybody to to whistle that game to the weekend. So um, it, it, it's 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 frustrating. I mean, all change. Changes slow and, and you know in, in, in democratic process. Much as I would love to be the the new head of FIFA, and, uh, appointed solely on on the basis of my brilliant ideas, which I am then able to the, implement the next day, um, that's not going to happen. <laughs> and so, Ian, finally, as we um, come to the end of this, I just wanted to know why why the blog? Why did you set it up? And why the book? And are you realistically hoping that something changes off the back of this in terms of, because we know, but the, the listeners might not know, the manifesto that you just mentioned is at the end of the book and it ties in completely with the things that you encounter over the course of five, six seasons. Do you, re- do you realistically think something's going to change? But before that, why did you commit to writing this down? Why do you think it's important? I started writing just to get everything off my chest uh, from after very uh, frustrating and upsetting games and also to document what was happening because sometimes when I retold stories from previous games, people were incredulous, like it can't be that bad. And then I started to think, well, was it that bad? Am I just making stuff up to make my story sound better? So I thought if I did a game-by-game blog, uh, I thought it would last for a season before things started to repeat themselves a little bit. Um, I thought if I did a game by game blog, I could I could work out my um, my own frustrations on a Monday morning, and that really did help me to continue mm-hmm. refereeing. Mm-hmm. But it went on for far longer than I expected because there's such a variety of things happen on on a football pitch at every level that there was always something to talk about, even if it was just bringing up some matter to do with the rules uh, or some quirky incident involving a a corner flag (laughs) um, being thrown at a passing crow. Um, There was always always seemed to be something something worth writing about. So, and and then, yes, as, as you say, kind of, turned into this um, chronicle of, of grief <laughs> in many ways summed up to me what, what is what is wrong with with the modern game what is wrong with with football and what needs to be there are I mean just so we, you, you, your list is not completely put off there are a lot of good and positive Absolutely. moments uh, yeah. rewarding moments from refereeing that, that, that feature in the blog and the book but uh, there is a, an overwhelming presence of, of Bad incidents as well, and um, yeah, my my hope is that people that people would read this book and say, "Wow, yeah, 
that this is just one referee's experience. Yeah. And I've talked to other referees, and my, my experiences are not unique in any way at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're very typical of what's <laughs> happening, in, not just in Germany, but in, in the US uh, more so now than when I refereed there. In the UK, in Ireland, and in France as well, I've talked to referees uh, in all these countries. And and, it, and this is a universal experience. The, the, the culture uh, the, uh, from top to bottom of the game in terms of sportsmanship has become rotten. We've lost sight of the, what the spirit of the game is and, and what it means to be... Uh, uh, to play uh, sport and why why we want to be out there running after a ball. It's, uh, it's, uh, so I, I do I do hope that people read my book and and that it would would help to change the way the game is uh, uh, on a large scale. That's that's a very optimistic view from me. But I mean, otherwise there would be no point in in, in writing at all if I didn't hope to, to alert people and, and change their minds about it. Yeah, and and as you said before, you've had a couple of quiet weeks, so maybe. Maybe the call has been turned and that's it now. (laughs) (laughs) He's going to be stirring up trouble, so there's a book number two, you watch. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Reffing Hill is is a brilliant, brilliant book. And if you've been involved in amateur football in any way, really, as a a player, as a ref, a coach, um, involved with clubs, um, it's well worth picking up and having a read. Uh, You can get it, as you all know by now, from us direct at Housing Publishing uk um or catch us on twitter we can point you in the right direction um ian thank you so much for your time um it's been a pleasure to speak to you as always thank you for having me on thanks uh, anytime anytime and uh yeah that'll be that for this episode uh we're back with another one. Oh, i should say actually we're going to put up some audio chapters of uh reffing hell um ian's going to do some some readings for us uh so check those out on the podcast as well they'll be very soon 